0: Hello. Welcome to PSR, People Speaking Rail. We are those people. I am Mike bowden head of Intermodal Solutions here, joined with Joanna Marsh, our uh, editorial uh, writer on the, the rail uh, industry. Joanna, how, how are you and how's your house doing? Made Any progress uh, fixing your roof yet?
1: No, actually no progress at all. I'm doing well, thank you. Hope you're doing well. Um, yeah, so... The restoration that we need um, is actually, come, I think, on the extensive side. So it actually requires um, a county permit um, in order to to get things started. And we're still in the permitting process, like, kind of four weeks, almost four weeks out. So I don't know. We're probably looking. <laughs> and then, of course, they actually have to start everything. So we're still we still have a hole in our roof with uh with some tarp over it. So but, you know, at least we have some, you know, we have shelter. So it's it's fine. It's OK. <laughs>
0: Wow, that sounds like a a big headache. Um, yeah, good 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 luck with that. Um, so so your your tree fell on the roof that was over your son's room, and yeah. he's just sleeps. You're still in the house. He's just sleeping some somewhere else.
1: Yeah, he's sleeping in the family room right now. So like the first few nights, I think it was just you know disorienting, but now he's mm-hmm. you know kind of gotten used to it. But it's still yeah, and I don't know how long it's going to take because you know obviously he can't sleep in that bedroom, and so. Um, It could be several months from now. I don't know, God forbid, half a year, but we'll see. So, but, you know, it happens. It happens. So it could be, could have been a lot worse for sure.
0: Yeah, totally. So uh, yeah, best of luck uh, with that. Um, So maybe we'll go into our first topic here. And our first topic is more of a preview of uh, what's coming next week. So you uh, did a great job securing some guests in recent weeks. We had Ian Jeffries on, uh, president of the AAR, we had Harris Ligan on, who was our friend at Telegraph. Um, and, uh, you know, next week we have the American Chemistry Council. And so they're a big uh, shipper organization, represent a lot of the big, um, you know, chemical shippers. So those are shippers that really have to use the railroad. There is really not a modal alternative in most cases. Um, so so what are you um, hoping to, to get out of that uh, interview?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, uh, I think... Uh, the ACC and, and other rail shippers are looking forward, if I can say that, um, <laughs> sort of anticipating what um, the surface transportation board might take up um, this year, especially now that uh, now that the STB doesn't have to um, doesn't have this Canadian Pacific Kansas City Southern merger on its plate. So um, I, I think that there's been a sort of continued um, push for reciprocal switching, which is uh allowing um you know which would um enable uh a a shipper with with access to another railroad sort of at interchanges with the idea that um it's really more for the idea of of promoting competition um so i I think that there's still a push for that um and of course uh you know um yeah some of some of the other sort of uh uh, provisions as, as well i think you know rail service uh uh continues to be something on their radar. Um, you know, the service metrics have improved, but I think, you know, the ACC put out a um, uh, a survey, I think last month, I think, of, of their members. And granted, it was looking at the second half of 2022, which is, you know, there's still um, a lot of service recovery happening. But I, I think um, on one hand, people are um, looking forward to um, uh to, to seeing service continue to improve, but on the other hand, um, uh, you know, it, it's still sort of anticipate. Well, like, are we sure? Are we there? Are, are is service really going to be better, or is something else going to happen? So, better. What do you uh, what are you hoping the ACC will, or what do you think uh, the ACC is looking at, or, or what do what do you hope like uh, we can address yeah. next week?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it'd be interesting to see what, what they're seeing on service. I mean, sort of hearing maybe some mixed things. I mean, it seemed like, you know, from the interview with last week with Harris, that he was seeing service was way better than it was. And from their sort of perspective, is it something that can just be addressed with the railroads hiring more people? Because that seems to be what the railroads have, have sort of pointed to to say, well, you know, the, the reason why the service has been poor during most of the pandemic period, they just didn't have the people. Once they get the people, which they've all they've all made a big push to get people in the door, get them trained, which takes a number of months, that at that point things will get better. So I, I think those things will be interesting. Um interested to see if they feel that they're getting charged fair um accessorials and um, you know, maybe their perspective on uh, the Union Pacific um you know, embargo situation, if they got caught up in that and then i mean you sort of hit on it with the reciprocal switching if that's sort of their top priority in 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 washington dc i mean when we interviewed um dan elliott he thought that would be the thing that would, it would make the biggest difference for shippers uh you know he's the former chairman of the, of, of the stb um and networks on behalf of shippers and, and, and he sort of pointed to that as being sort of the the the, the key thing but um it'd be great to get um the shippers you know perspective um you know, after you know, um, interviewing the AAR to to get sort of the other side of it. Um, you know, I think the the trap that some people you know can fall into f- following one industry closely is you listen to too much um, from that industry and, and and not from other from other parties. So it should be a really good, uh, really good interview. So um, yeah, that'll be next uh, week um, that, that we have that. Um, also, wanted to go into maybe our next topic here is um, you know you're working on writing up the rail reform bill. Uh, which just cleared the Senate Commerce Committee. Um, you know, one of a number of pieces of legislation that was starting to come out as a result of the East Palestine, Ohio derailment, um, you know, clearly a lot of pressure on lawmakers in Ohio and Pennsylvania to do something and they're doing something. And it seems to be bipartisan. I mean, wh- what are your sort of thoughts um, at this point on the on the Railway Safety Act?
1: Yeah, yeah, so... It was actually really interesting um watching the markup yesterday. Um I think because uh, you know there's been kind of a tendency in sort of the broader news coverage of you know have emphasizing how polarizing um Washington D.C. Ha- Congress has become in terms of you know really strict polars. Um but it felt like to me yesterday's um markup of the um of the bill so the rail railway safety act um it was uh, the Senate Commerce Committee was voting whether to move it to the Senate floor, so whether to approve the bill and then whether to move it forward. Um, and it was interesting listening to the the debates between the Republicans and the Democrats because um, I know there, there are several different levels. Like it was like on one hand, you I felt like the the markup hearing in in general kind of was representative of of the more sort of traditional. Um, Uh, process that that happens in Congress in terms of like the give and take between parties Um, and so you kind of got to see the uh, the 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 mechanisms kind of behind like you know how to move a bill forward in terms of like compromising and sort of adding things and deleting things and stuff like that um, being discussed uh, throughout the hearing. Um, Mm -hmm. It was interesting because there are several different levels of like partisanship and bipartisanship in this in this bill. On one hand, you do have bipartisan uh, co-sponsors, Republicans and Democrats. Um the uh, the lead ones um you know included, you know, the senators from um Ohio and Pennsylvania. So on one hand you have that. Um on the other hand, you also there are some there are several amendments that were offered um, by Republicans. I believe all of them actually didn't make it into the bill. Um, so you have, and and those amendments went along um, part more or less party lines. Um, I think uh, Senator JD Vance from Ohio voted. I think of Democrats on some of the uh, amendments, but um, so that was interesting because you did see the partisanship there. Um, but then at an, at another level. Um, you, you know, you heard from Republicans, namely, you know, Senator Ted Cruz saying that, you know, if you want this bill to go forward, um uh, you're going to have to consider some of these uh, failed amendments. Um, in order to actually get a bill passed um, in the House of Representatives and to get the 60 uh, votes needed in the Senate. So that was kind of interesting. There are two amendments that were withdrawn, so they weren't voted on, which means that they could come back at some later point. Um, One of them was on um, train crew sizes and whether to require uh, locomotives uh, or trains to um, have uh, at least two people in the locomotive cab. Uh, and so you know which is you know a big deal <laughs> and um let's see i'm trying to remember the other amendment was but um but it's interesting cuz i think even though there is a bipartisan effort and, and there's also actually a lot of talk about um working with um with the rail industry and working with 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 rail shippers um on on the bill and you, so you kind of also got to see sort of the 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 effects of lobbying and it's interesting because you know, people like to poo poo lobbying on one hand, but on the other hand, um, you know, uh, senators and and the staff of, of senators and house, you know, representatives, um, you know, they can't know everything. And so that's where you bring in the lobbyists to sort of help work through things. Um, and so there was, there was a lot of talk about, um, uh, you know, bringing in, um, industry, uh, stakeholders into the you know to 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 help figure out what to put in the bill, um, and it was interesting because I think also again Senator Cruz remarked that you know the, the initial bill I I forget how long it was but it was like I don't know um, you know between ten and twenty pages long, and then this latest bill is actually um, around seventy seven pages so uh, a lot of stuff has been added to it um, which. Generally speaking, um, the Democrats support. Generally speaking, um, the Republicans um, are more wary of of some of the provisions, not all, but but some of them, like drink crew size. Mm-hmm. But although that was no, the original bill, so no. that's my long spiel <laughs> about the rail safety bill. Yeah,
0: well, it makes a lot of sense, I guess. So the the amendment, so it was, the amendment that was taken out was the crew sizes having to be at least two people, which has been sort yeah. of uh, the hot topic, and it was. So the Republicans wanted to have the the two man crews in there, and the Democrats didn't. Is is, is that right? Or no. Uh,
1: so they they wanted the the Re- Republicans wanted to take the language out of the uh, to mm-hmm. so take the language out regarding the train crew sizes. Um, I think one of the amendments. I think it was by Senator Lomas of um, one of the Pacific Northwest states. I'm sorry, I'm going to remember it afterwards. Um, but, uh, oh, Wyoming, Wyoming, I think it was Wyoming. Um, uh, she had said that that discussion, um, should be kind of between the, uh, the railroad carriers and the unions, you know, kind of at the, at the bargaining table and, you know, not letting, you know, car- Congress step into the role of being arbitrator of, else, of, else. um, of, so that the, the issue of, you know, train crew size, um, so yeah, so that amendment was withdrawn, but that's not to say that it won't come back in iteration. So I think one of the takeaways that, that I got from yesterday was that um the the bill, you know, because of kind of similar to like what Senator Cruz was saying, like uh, that that what passed yesterday might not be the final um iteration of, of what uh, of what, you know, what gets presented because you know, it still has to uh, I think even both sides kind of referred to some sort of tweaking that that needs to happen still
0: yeah so I guess the main things that are they're that coming about because of the the bill that are including the bill that could change the industry it would be if we could sort of go down the down the list um you have to give uh, emergency responders advance notice about hazardous material um, you know coming through the track well that that makes sense I think it would be before that the reduced block rail crossings um, you know people are more, Aware of that, you know, recently see some articles in the press of kids crawling under the, the the tracks instead of walking a mile. I mean, most kids, you know, probably use the exercise of walking a mile around the or, or around the track, but that seems to have gotten to be a big issue. And then requirements for for length and weight uh, specifications, you know, to me that seems like that could be a detriment to the industry because I mean they have made a big push to increase the length and weight of the trains for the sake of efficiency I mean now that the railroads are more um sort of focused let's say on service issues the step back to the PSR language um you know maybe these these trains actually you know become sh- a little bit shorter and and, and lighter uh even at the detriment of, of of maybe uh cost efficiency so so that was interesting and then I think the requirements for the wayside um you know defect detectors uh that seems kind of Inevitable, I guess. In a lot of cases, they're going to have them every 15 miles instead of every 20 or 25 miles, and um, making that sort of a national law instead of you know being just having to do that on a voluntary you know basis, um, you know that could be pretty impactful. Um, We'll see on the two man crews. I mean, it it seems like it. It doesn't seem to me that the the two man crews are going away. Um, If it's not in this bill, it'll be the FRA will will mandate it or. The unions will continue to not allow it in their in their in their contracts. So I, I think um, the, you know, the two person uh, crew is in locomotive. I think that's going to be with us uh, for some time. And then um, you know, phasing out of certain tank cars sooner than they would otherwise be. I guess they're going to phase out certain tank cars by twenty twenty five instead of twenty twenty nine. And so you sort of think about all of this, and you know, sort of who are the winners and the losers in this situation. Um, I mean, who's going to benefit who's not going to benefit i mean is it safe to say that sort of the you know ideally where's are sort of the communities uh maybe a little bit just dis- just dis- less disruptive the rail car manufacturers because those cars are going to be replaced um you know sooner than they otherwise would have maybe some of these rail um you know suppliers that supply the hot boxes uh should make up pretty well uh you know it's because of this and and maybe think of the the, the companies that that are you're not going to do as well if the shareholder groups and then the, the the class ones and maybe for labor it's a neutral if the the two-person um you know crew situation is taken out I mean do you, would you agree with that assessment
1: yeah I I I think um it just I I think that you know the 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 train crew size issue aside um in I think it kind of Uh, the union could, could, you know, the unions could see a a slight win in the, in the sense that, um, it, it does address, uh, you know, not putting a, a time limit on, on inspections and, um, and sort of, uh, broadening what inspections need to be done when. Um, and so I, I, I feel like the, like I said earlier, the, 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 the the rail shippers and 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 even the the freight rails kind of um, had a lot of I don't want to say had a lot of involvement but you know they they were actively involved in it and so like on one hand it, it probably you know I guess the, the railroads could be a loser in a sense but but at the same time I think um, uh, there were provisions that you know that they were willing to, to do i guess like loser in the sense that you know, the unit can't get it all but but you know but there were things that were probably you know probably would have you know it's nice to have some regulations surrounding it some of the more um less controversial items um okay. uh so i don't know but but yeah it'll be interesting to see though like what you know how, how the bill moves um through congress so
0: yeah i mean it sounds to me like it'll probably uh, pass i mean everyone's in favor of safety and, and, some, and some of the things really do make a lot of sense, and end. good to have clarity like the point that you just that you just made. Um, let's move on to the next topic. Here is um, you know a lot of the material on uh, freight waves this week. And I'll, I'll summarize this by saying doubts of a second half freight demand recovery intensify. Um, sort of um, want to go through this. So this is an article that that Henry Byers wrote. He doesn't write articles very often, but when he does write them, they're they're, they're impactful. Uh, he wrote a big article last um, you know May I think it was uh, talking about how import demand falling off a cliff, end up being uh, prescient. Um, and, and and he's saying really that the sonar bookings have been weak now, suggesting that there's not going to be a big rebound in the second half of this year. You know, you go back a couple months and everyone was, uh, you know, really positive on the second half. And sort of the the thesis was there was one, you know, analyst report that I wrote that, that you know, they had a conference in Florida and they said there, there weren't any there weren't any bears, and in, in in Miami at at this particular conference, and it's sort of the, the the thought was from a lot of people in the industry, at least the publicly traded companies, was that okay? You know, we're going through this period of inventory destocking, and like a lot of markets, that will overcorrect, and they will they'll they'll you know retailers will overshoot it, they'll destock inventory too much, and then there will have to be a surge in imports to replenish those inventories and that'll create a lot of tightness um, from a demand perspective meanwhile the you know capacity will come out of the um, you know marketplace and it'll create a lot of tightness but as far as uh, the demand indicators that we're seeing um, you know not not suggesting that to be the case um, you know, lots of good uh, material on freightwaves.com not just that artic- article that Henry wrote he's been on uh, FreightWaves uh, now a number of times. This week, there's even a clip that's, um, you know, maybe ten or twelve minutes with him and Greg Miller, who does the writing for um, the maritime uh, industry, discussing what's happening on the ocean and um, sort of what uh, yeah. Greg added to the discussion is, is really some of these the uh, the comments that have come out of the ocean carriers lately have maybe turned a little bit more, you know, bearish, including some of the companies that tend to be. Permeables like, like Mersk that, um, you know, tends to be one that says, okay, the stronger volumes are right around the corner. Dave stepped back from, from some of that, uh, from some of that language. I guess they had an analyst call, um, you know, the, the other day. Uh, so that's something that I think is, is a negative for intermodal uh, volume, you know, the intermodal volume in recent weeks has been down, you know, double digits. Um, also just want to show this other sonar chart that we have on, intermodal ocean TEU volume index so this is a proprietary index if we can get the SAR chart up on the on, on the chart and, and and really um you know last year um that orange line 2022 really saw that that drop off in 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 May which um was a precursor to the the lack of an intermodal uh Peak season uh you know last year and so now we're watching that white line which is 2023 very closely to see if there's any um you know evidence of a, of a pickup and you know certainly it's higher than it was in, in, in February, but a lot of that is seasonality. February is the weakest month with you know Chinese New Year. Uh it, but but haven't seen anything you know pick up in in, in artists and kind of that tracking in line with 2019 levels. 2019 was a weak uh, freight year uh characterized by a lot of uh, you know major uh truckload you know bankruptcies I think Celadon was the you know worst of those um that I recall uh so it's something to watch closely on um, on, on Sonar, and we just encourage everyone to go to Freight Waves, check out all the content on um, from from both uh, Henry Byers, head of ocean intelligence, and Greg Miller, who's a um, you know, very good writer uh, following the ocean industry. I think all that is very relevant for the intermodal industry uh, specifically. So I wanted to spend a couple minutes highlighting that. Um, and then uh, with our last uh, about three minutes here, uh, Joanna wanted to ask you about uh, the recent articles that you published on a uh, carb that's the California Air Resources Board pushing to reduce locomotive emissions. Um you know we didn't have a get a chance to talk about this on the other you know shows. I think you did one on April 27th, another one on April um twenty eighth. Uh you know what's happening with uh with with this?
1: Yeah, so um as you mentioned the Carb um I voted to uh to reduce, um, locomotive emissions, um, sort of by, by, you know, they, they gave timelines in terms of, uh, when, um, you know, locomotive systems would have to be, I think like zero emission locomotives. Um, I think, uh, it, it would apply to all, um, class one railroads operating in California, uh, in 2035. And then, uh, to you know, this, to the short lines in the passenger rail um, by 2030, and so, um, so the idea is that you know you're the, the arg- carb's argument was um, that you know now that we've reduced emissions by truck, uh, rail emissions are more than what you know is emitted by truck. so now let's go after rail emissions. Um, so that was kind of the the rationale for for that uh, rail making.
0: And so they're, they're concerned mostly about things like diesel, particulate matter, not <laughs> those things, so much the carbon, at least, um, you know, this organization. And then uh, I guess one of the things is the, the locomotive operators, let's say Class One Railroads, um, you know, based on kind of a sliding, it seems like a kind of sliding scale based on how much emissions they're producing, have to put a certain amount of money in a trust that would go towards purchasing cleaner locomotives. And I guess the thing I didn't understand from from, from reading... Um, through the material and carb is is sort of the distinction between that they make between the the, the over the highway locomotives and the switcher locomotives. So is the, are the electrification are those centered around the the switcher locomotives where it seems like that would be more pragmatic, or are they also thinking that's going to be electric for the locomotives that run long haul?
1: Yeah, I think that well they they did say you know the switcher locomotives um, uh, would have to be. Would have to comply in 2030. Um, Now I'm not sure, uh, you know, whether that's, you know, what what kind of locomotive technology will be involved with that. Whether it'll be, you know, more electric or, or well, obviously, I mean, they're trying to phase out diesel, right? So like, so um, uh, I I can say that that the short line and and the the freight rail industry is kind of more concerned about, um, you know, you do have the locomotive technologies that, that aim for zero emissions and you do have like the battery the the hybrid locomotives but then um you know is the technology out there uh to be ready by that deadline and then you know not just technology to be ready by that deadline but also um you have enough <laughs> uh, enough uh locomotives to 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 meet that deadline too never mind you know the cost associated with it so that's uh so if there's a possibility that you know there might be you know litigation um with with this rule, so we'll see what happens,
0: yeah, so check out the article. And you really hit out a great quote from the American Shortline and Regional Railroad Association that said that the cost of these new locomotives, they're electric, would be between five million seven million dollars for each locomotive. um and believe that's for locomotives that the the short line would run, which are lower horsepower than the ones that the class ones would use long haul and you think of those long haul ones being sort of that two to two and a half million range maybe they're a little bit higher now it's me call it two to three million uh so um you know be a big um you know increase so we encourage everyone to check out those articles on uh emissions and um people sign up for our uh, uh newsletter on rail